Hey friends, I love a good story, especially when it's a God story. I love to hear how God takes ordinary women and does extraordinary things in, for, and even through them. I'm your host, Jody Kiracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. And I've got a story that will equip, inspire, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. So welcome. I am so glad you've tuned in. Hey, have you heard about the Her God Story podcast clubs? It's an easy way to gather together a few friends, neighbors, or colleagues to talk and encourage one another in your journey of faith. It's very, very simple. Listen to the same episode, download our prepared podcast questions from hergodstory.org, and then discuss over your favorite refreshments. And it's a great way to reach out to friends who don't yet know Christ. Include them in the conversation and see what God will do. Listening to an episode takes much less time than reading most books, and we think you'll have a lot of takers. So gather some friends and try it out. When you do, email us at prayer at somebodycares.org to let us know so we can be praying for you. When Paul was a prisoner in Rome, he wrote to the church in Ephesus, pleading with them in chapter 4, verse 1, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And dear friend, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you also have a calling. Laura Allred has known this from a very young age. She has chosen again and again to say yes to her calling, and God has used her in some remarkable ways. Laura is a dynamic speaker, evangelist, and prayer warrior. She currently serves as the young adult pastor at Trinity Church in Dallas, Texas, and is a wife and devoted mom to her beautiful daughter. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much, Jody. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Laura, from a young age, you had a really tender heart toward the Lord and a desire to do His will. But where did that come from and how did that play out in your young life? Well, when I think about where it came from, I think about the scripture in Timothy where Paul talks Paul writes a letter to Timothy and says, I know the faith that was in your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois, or maybe it was the other way around. And he said, and now that faith is also in you, Timothy. And I know that a lot of my faith has come from godly heritage. I had a praying grandmother, praying mama. Um, and so from a very young age, you know, the Lord, before my parents had me, they were, they said, Lord, we want to have this next child and we want it to be dedicated to you because before that they had not been saved. So I was their first child as a, as a believer. And so they dedicated me even before they conceived me. And I just had a very tender heart. Like I just remember being young, five, six, seven years old and, and just having a very open, tender heart to the Lord and, and just weeping in his presence and hungry to grow in him from those very tender ages. And uh, from what your mama tells me, because I know her as well, uh, (laughs) you were a little evangelist even when you were in elementary school. Yeah. So I was fasting. I don't even know where I heard about fasting in the second grade, but somehow I did. And I was actually fasting for my classmates in the second grade and, you know, skipping lunches and praying for their salvations. I realized that many of them didn't know the Lord. And um, one time I, I threw my pencil under my desk so that I could lean down under my desk in kindergarten and pray for my classmates who were misbehaving. 
<laughs> that, that they would come to know Jesus. And, you know, I, I, you know, all the second, third, fourth grade, and I would even um, like witness, you know, witness to my friends and some of them still serving the Lord today, one in full-time ministry, whose family never came to the Lord, never came to Jesus, but, you know, just through faithful witness, I, she's still serving the Lord in ministry. So I've always had a heart for people and for the Lord to be you know, made real in their lives. Yeah. And nobody can say that God does not answer the prayers of children, mm-hmm. but because, you know, children pray with such faith. Right. So and there's no junior Holy Spirit, right? That I mean, is no, true. There's no, there's no junior Holy Spirit. So my, even now my daughter's having visions and seeing things and I'm like, yeah, come on, having prophetic words. And yeah, we love it. Yeah. So clearly you were marked at a young age. Um, but in your teen years, you went through some sifting, a sifting period when the lies of the enemy took root in your heart a bit. Uh, what did you go through and what changed things for you? Yeah. So in high school, I started hanging around different people and some of them began to pose the question like, well, how do you know that Jesus is real? Or how do you know you were actually filled with the influence of the Holy Spirit at a young age? You know, this is all you've ever known your whole life. So maybe you've just been conditioned to believe this way. So I'm, you know, 17, 18 years old and I start questioning a lot of things and um, even encounters that I had um, as, as a young child. And I'm just like, all or nothing. Like I'm all in, you know, I'm just like, what you see is what you get. I'm so genuine. I'm just like, just, this is, this is my whole life. I'm, I just, I'm not great at hiding things or pretending. And so about the age of 18, I had a conversation with my parents and I said, listen, I'm, I'm starting to wonder about all of this. Like all I've ever known is growing up in the church and maybe, you know, maybe there's other ways, you know, I didn't know what any of those other ways would be, but I did know that I didn't want to continue to like go to church and pretend and play a good church girl and worship when I knew that my heart was being torn. So I just said, Hey, I'm just not going to come to church. You know, And my mom was devastated. My parents, both of them were devastated. And I began to just kind of, you know, explore and kind of party and drink and do some drugs and, you know, nothing hardcore, but just, you know, young adult rebellion, really. Um, and now that I'm a young adult pastor, right now that I'm pastoring 18, 19, 20 year olds, I actually gathered several of them in my house um, just last week. And I said, why do you keep coming to church now? It's not just your parents' faith. It belongs to you. So talk to me about how you made that transition. And so that's basically where I was. I was just discovering, okay, you know, the call, the hand of God on my life. And, um, so I was, I don't know, maybe a year or a year and a half into this rebellion and, um, ended up going to party with some friends and tried some experimental drugs I had never tried before and like shrooms and acid and just things that are very like uh, hallucinogenics, you know? So, you know, it opens up your mind, but it also opens up your spirit to actually see the spirit world. And I heard the voice of the Lord so clearly. And he said, Laura, what are you doing here? This is what you have been trained to stay away from your entire life. Like you've been called to something more. And so I ended up literally running out of that place. 
I like on foot ran and just got help. And from one day to the very next, I was like, that's it. Like I belong to Jesus. It was like a wake up call. Like I knew I belong to the Lord. God has amazing things for me. And this is not what I was created to do. And so it was just like the, the, the switch went on. And I literally from what I did 180 from one day to the next and just never looked back. Like I belong to Jesus. And behind the scenes, your parents were in deep intercession, weren't they? Serious intercession. So, you know, I just want to encourage anybody who's listening who may have prodigals that are running from the Lord. You know, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better because the enemy does not want your children to fulfill their destiny. And so my parents were like tired of seeing me running from the Lord. So they, they went, they, someone gave them keys to a little house on a ranch somewhere in Texas. And they went and took a bunch of liquids and soups and juices and said, we're going to come here and fast and contend for breakthrough for our daughter until we feel released from the Lord. And they did that. Of course, they didn't tell me. I had no idea until later. Um, And it was shortly after that, that their prayers broke through. Jesus broke in. And, and that was, you know, that, that was a game changer. Amen. So you woke up literally and spiritually from those nightmare years. Um, Mm -hmm. And your first love for Jesus just consumed you again. Uh, And you determined at that point, to live a life of obedience to God. Now, I know the word obedience can have a really negative connotation for a lot of people. It Mm -hmm. did to me for many years. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. obey, obey, obey. It seems so legalistic, right? Mm -hmm. Until the Lord gave me a revelation. The obedience to God is really just walking with him. Yeah. You know, walking side by side. If we're walking with God, we're following his lead. And, And that's what you did. You started saying yes to whatever God said. And you took, he took you on quite a journey how did it begin? And tell us a little of where it led, because I know we don't have time to talk about every everything oh you did. Gosh. Here are some of the highlights. Yeah, so I just I gave her, I gave the Lord my heart, I, and just like any relationship, when you get to know someone, you if you have a best friend that goes like, "Hey, I really hate drinking coffee. Like, let's not go on coffee dates. Let's go do something else." I would be like, "Yeah, let's go do something else." You know, so it was kind of in that way cultivating my relationship with the Lord through his word and learning him through the Holy Spirit, what kinds of things bless his heart and what would draw me close to him and what would put separation between us. And I learned early on uh, to listen to his voice, to listen for his voice and that he would lead me and direct me. And so, you know, it started really simple with me saying yes to go to Louisiana to a, 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 um, a Bible internship training discipleship school. And I committed, you know, two years there. And when I was done, I just had this heart for evangelism and street evangelism and to see people, you know, just come to know Jesus that were far from the Lord. And so for a graduation present from my time in Louisiana, my mom um, sent me to a street ministers conference and I was like, yeah, that, you know, like what kind of young adult woman, like that's her graduation prize. I was so excited like to learn how to preach on the streets. And, and I got there and I saw this young married couple who were both in ministry. He was preaching and she was leading worship and they happened to have two small children. And I had been practicing listening to the voice of the Lord. And I thought perhaps I heard the Lord say, Hey, why don't you ask her if she needs help with her kids? Maybe you could serve her in that way. 
And my initial thought was, I don't want to, Lord. <laughs> like, I want to learn how to be a good street preacher. I don't want to babysit. I don't. Um, and I just heard the Lord just, you know, kind of press on my heart. Like, it was an invitation, Jody. Like, I feel like that's how the Lord works with us. He, like, invites us into a God adventure. He invites us into something that wouldn't normally occur to us. Um, and so he invited me to, to this. And so I was like, okay, Lord, I, I, I want to obey and yes, let's, I'll do this. And so, you know, um, asking this, I thought, but, but for sure, she's not going to say yes. Cause if I were a mom and some woman that I came up, didn't know me and asked, you know, can I watch your kids? I'd probably say no. So I yeah. thought, surely this is just a test and she's going to say no. Well, unbeknownst to me, she was like, she just felt a yes in her spirit. So she's like, that would be so great. Yeah. Could you please, could you please do that? So there I am at this conference, you know, pushing this five-year-old, playing with a five-year-old, pushing a six-month-old in the stroller, thinking, Lord, what is this even about? Like, why am I even doing this? You know, I paid good money to be here at this conference, you know, but as I obeyed, the Lord actually had a relationship with this woman and her husband for me, a, a mentor discipling relationship that would open the door later for me to join them in their ministry in Colorado. That would later open another door to um, meet my spiritual mom, Cindy Jacobs, and and just so many other things that led through that one act of obedience. Um, I can even trace actually meeting and my husband, my current husband, to that act of obedience. If I hadn't said yes to watch this woman's children in a time that was like uncomfortable and I really didn't want to, um, it wouldn't have led to another relationship that led to another relationship that eventually led to me meeting my husband. And so that act of obedience was, I just am so grateful that I said yes to the Lord and all the twists and turns that it took me down the journey. Um, but that's, that's one of the stories of obedience and saying yes to the Lord. Yeah. And that opened up that act of obedience opened up an opportunity and really gave you a heart to um, for, for Norway, which you didn't even know where Norway was on the map, right? I didn't. No. So in a time of prayer, I heard the Lord say, you know, again, learning to listen to his voice. Um, I, I would like you to an invitation. Hey, let's pray for revival in Norway. And my heart was so moved. My spirit was so gripped. It was almost the closest to audible I've ever heard the, the Lord's voice. It wasn't audible, but I'm telling you, my, it, it very well could have been. It was so short to me, but I didn't know where Norway was. I had no idea where Norway was on the map, but I knew that God had called me to this country. And um, I am the very opposite of Norwegian culture. So, you know, Norwegians are very demure and quiet and um, I'm Latina and I'm from the city, inner city of Houston and Norway is like stepping back in time. You know, the culture is just so precious and pure and just so beautiful. I mean, just polar opposites, really personality and, and ethnic ethnicity. Um, and the Lord opened up, um, a door six months after he shared that with me to go to Norway. Um, and I went, it was 1997. So yeah, that's been some time ago. <laughs> um, and I, where from where we landed in Oslo, Norway, to where we drove for our first ministry opportunity, which was a city called Christian Sund, Norway. It was a six-hour drive. I wept the entire time 
because the Lord was had so knitted my heart to this nation that I had no natural connection to, just a spiritual connection. And I wept the entire time and I just felt so much love and like, God, what do you want to do in this nation? And that trip opened up I mean, I ended up staying for like three months. This is back way before 9-11 and you could extend your time and just kind of, we were able to move about the nations a little bit more freely. Um, and the Lord opened so many doors for me to go in and out of the nation um, and meet parliament members and ended up, the, you know, um, just wild journeys all over the country of Norway and praying in, in very key places and doing strategic prayer journeys there. So yeah, it just, it's kind of a, a dream. It's, when I, when I even recount the story and I look back, I'm like, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, how? yeah, go ahead. Well, then you, um, then you left Norway and you ended up going to, with a group to, um, Israel for the Feast of Tabernacles. Right. right. And you had another encounter with some Norwegians there. Yeah. So I, I, um, when I came home from Norway that after that first trip, I was like, I, I, I had what I call inverted homesickness and I just, my heart was just still so gripped for this beautiful country and for God to make himself real. Cause at that time, less than 1% of Norwegians are Christians. And so, um, they needed a, re a revival, you know? So I, I, um, came home and had this wild prophetic word from this prophet that said, um, keep your bags packed because you're going to be going across from border to border in this season. And it's, you know, like 1998 or so. And I have no money. Like I'm just, you know, this young, young adult woman with a yes in my heart to Jesus. And I ended up um, through just wild you know, one step of obedience after the other, you know, um, meeting people who then invited me to, to spend the summer in Canada doing ministry and then came home one day, washed my clothes, packed my bag, went to Argentina with Ed Servoso, came home and dumped out my clothes, washed, washed those clothes, packed them again, went back to Canada, went to Israel. I mean, like it was just this summer where I was literally in like five different nations in just one summer. And it was all you know, Doug Stringer says, I think he was the first I heard him say the kingdom of God is built on relationships. And it was just one door after the other from saying yes to the Lord and making myself available. So I ended up going to Norway with the group of first nations for the Feast of Tabernacle in Israel. You went to Israel. Yeah. Israel to yeah. Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Went to Israel for the Feast of Tabernacles um, with um, some first nations family. And um, I met this big convention center and there's everyone from all over the world. You know, it's just a fulfilling a prophecy in um, Zechariah. I believe it is that all the nations will come and worship before him. So anyway, I'm there and I just think like there's Norwegians here. I just know it. Like there's somewhere I can just, I almost can smell them, you know? So I actually ended up seeing these two men that were dressed in their national bunad, which is the Norwegian um, folk costume or their wear and uh, a spirit of prayer just came over me. And so I, I asked this one gentleman, you know, can I pray for your, for your nation? And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, with very stoic. And so I went behind him and I, I put my hands on his shoulder and I just began to just gently spirit of prayer came over me and I began to weep and say, you know, yes, which is just revival for Norway. God send revival over Norway just with tears, just began to weep. And I opened my eyes and I could see that he was like, you know, up in his chair and kind of, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm scaring this Norwegian guy. So I kind of stepped back slowly 
they came out to the lobby to find me, he and his friend afterward. And they said, why are you praying for our country? And like, how, where are you from? I said, well, I'm, I'm Mexican. I'm from Texas. And they're like, why is this young Mexican woman from Texas praying for our country? They were so taken back. How, like, what would the connection be? And I just shared quickly, the Lord asked me to pray for revival in your country. And one of the gentlemen was the editor of the largest um, Norwegian Christian newspaper at the time. His wife was a parliament member, elected parliament member, um, a high profile parliament member. And we built a relationship and they invited me to go in and out and go into the parliament and lead prayer meetings and all kinds of amazing God adventures. Um, all just trace back to a simple obedience and yes. Yeah. And that obedience actually led you to a three month prayer journey in Norway. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people might not have know what a prayer journey is. I took a prayer journey to Mongolia in 1995 as part of the mm-hmm. Praying Through the 1040 Window 100 Gateway City Initiative. But explain what you did on your prayer journey. I mean, it's more than just praying. Uh, that is obviously a big part of it. But how did you, how did God lead you to pray and, and proclaim the promises of yes. God over that nation? Yes. Yeah, so I had taken probably about four trips, had so much favor in Norway, um, because obviously I was called there in that season and I came home and I, I, in a time of prayer, I heard the Lord ask me, do you think, Laura, do you think the prayers of one young woman can change the fate of a nation? And you know how the Lord will ask a question. If you're learning to the voice of God, it's like, he asked a question. He already knows the answer. He just wants to get you to understand that answer. And so I knew right away when he said young one, one young woman, he was talking about me, but he was also parallel, paralleling the story in the book of Esther, where Esther's prayers changed the fate of her people at the time. And so I knew the answer was yes. And I, I feel like it was a deeper invitation to pray on a, on, a, on a deeper level for the nation of Norway. So I submitted it to my family. I'm single, you know, I'm probably 25 years old now and I'm a single young woman. So I submitted it to my parents and to my pastor and said, this is what I feel like God's calling me to. I feel like the Lord wants me to do some serious prayer for the nation of Norway, some what we would call spiritual mapping. Like, let's do some research on the nation of Norway and find out the most influential cities and what are these cities called to? What are what are the redemptive gifts and blessings of these cities? Not not what's all the negative thing that's going on in the city right now. Like for instance, Bergen is a city of um, great spirituality and there's lots of witchcraft, but they have a prophetic call on that city. So instead of focusing on the witchcraft, let's talk about the prophetic call and the per, the prophetic destiny on the city. And so I did that in, in the four gate cities of Norway, which are Christiansen, Oslo, Trondheim, and Bergen. And I um, looked at the map and the Lord gave me a strategy and we started on the king's birthday. We started at the palace and we blessed the king, just me and young, one young woman. There's not hype. It was not big meetings in churches. It wasn't big. You know, I wasn't doing interviews with the Christian newspaper at this time. This was like, we're just doing business for the Lord. So we went and did a 40 day fast, this young woman and I, in the dead of Norway winter, Mm. which is, you know, the sun only shines maybe four hours a day. And even that sun's really overcast and there's snow nonstop. So this Texas Houstonian was like really on the struggle bus with all the snow and the <laughs> the darkness and but God had called me there on a mission so we this young woman and I we traveled to the highest places in these 
four gate cities, the highest we could get to. And we did research and found out what their blessings were. And we stood there and just began to bless the cities and begin to speak the destiny of God over these cities. And we would hop on a train, hop on a bus, get on a plane or on a ferry and travel across the country to the next city, climb up the mountain in snow and do the same thing over that city. Um, and we we did this over and over. And um, as we were fasting for 40 days, it was my first liquid only fast for 40 days. And we just held the nation of Norway up before the Lord mm. and said, God, you have purpose and you have a destiny. And we went to a small little cabin. We ended our fast by going to a tiny little cabin on the south coast of Norway with no TV, no radio, no connection for a week and just waited before the Lord and fasted and prayed. And um, when we got out, when our ride came to pick us up at the end of that week, they said, you'll never believe what's happened. We're like, well, what's going on? And they said, there's been an entire parliamentary shift. The prime minister, who was the prime minister when you began, began your prayer journey earlier this week, has been voted out. And there's been a shift in the government. And we really believe this is a wake-up call for the church to start praying. Wow. And many Christians were like, this is this was nothing like this has ever happened. It really shook up the nation. And you know, it just was such a powerful time of prayer. We knew that the Lord was aware and hearing our prayers. Yeah. So a lot of times we don't necessarily see the, right. the end result of our prayer, but God gives you a little glimpse to, that you connected, that you connected with his heart for it. Uh, but after quite a few years of ministry overseas, a, a lot of which we weren't able to go into, right? Um, <laughs> God sent you back to Houston to minister quite literally at home. Uh, it was a tough time for your family. Um, and even in the midst of that t- tough time, God was still calling uh, calling you to a new aspect of ministry. So share about mm-hmm. that season a little bit. Yeah. So I had um, finished my long, I was actually in Norway, my longest stint there working for Nikki Cruz and we did some evangelism outreach. So I got to pray. This was another season years later that I got to be a part of reaping the harvest. That's was really, really beautiful. But I got a phone call from my mom and she said, uh, your dad had some grand mal seizures overnight and they did a CAT scan and found a spot on his brain. And that very day I packed up all my belongings. I'd lived there for almost a year and flew home that day to my dad being diagnosed with a massive brain tumor in his frontal lobe. And he was never the same. So, you know, from, I, so I came home just, it was, it was, a, it was a very stark pivot. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, here I am. I'm, I'm going to say yes to honoring and, and taking care of my father. And it was really, really difficult. The type of brain tumor that he had in his frontal lobe. And the doctor said, it's going to present a little bit like Alzheimer's, but on fast track. So what normally happens with Alzheimer's patients, forgetting, you know, different things, you know, despondency and all kinds of, I mean, it, that's indeed what happened in a very, very short amount of time, like rapid, rapidly, like before we knew it, he was unable to swallow his food. He was falling down in the house and he was kind of a John Wayne, man's man, burly kind of guy who could fix anything and I was uh, definitely, I'm a daddy's girl. And, you know, it was just so um, stunning to watch his quick downward progression and how his, his life began just to wither away literally in front of us. So from the time he was diagnosed to nine to when he passed away and went to be with Jesus, it was nine months. And at the end of that time period, I be, 
began to be his primary caretaker because it was so difficult for my mom to see that and to just, you know, to watch. So I just said, Hey, you know, let me, let me take this on. And so I was up through the night with him, you know, feeding tubes, administering medicine at the very end, you know, as his lungs are starting to give in because he's immobile and, you know, bed sores, just the whole bed sores and, you know, his um, pneumonia setting in. I mean, it was, it was really heart wrenching. Oh yeah. Um, and just, yeah, just so difficult to, to see, but, um, I, I will never, ever forget. I'll just, just tell you the story quickly. And, you know, he was at the very end is probably maybe a week or so before he would pass. And at that point he's nonverbal, completely nonverbal in a semi comatose state, mostly asleep, awake, you know, maybe two minutes of the day, three minutes of the day. And, and even then his eyes are, he's just in the slumber going into sleep. And I crawled up in bed with him and I put my arm around his head and I, you know, he can't move his, his limbs, you know, he's again, just almost like a vegetable. And I, I, I held his hand and I, I put his fingers, I intertwined his fingers into my fingers and I began to pray for him because my dad loved to worship the Lord. And I felt like he wanted to worship the Lord, but and his spirit was alive and well. It was just his body that was shutting down. So I just began to worship the Lord. And I said, Jesus, we just love you. We worship you right now. We we praise you. And I just began to pray. And all of a sudden, he began to start responding. And he was saying, mm-hmm, amen, amen. And I just was trying to articulate what was in his spirit and his spirit was alive. It was so beautiful to see. And he kind of squeezed my hand back. And that was kind of almost the very last um, interaction I was able to have with him was, was worshiping the Lord with him and praying and then saying to him, go be with Jesus, daddy. It's okay. You know? So um, I was, um, when he went to be with the Lord, we immediately shifted our Although we fasted and prayed for God to heal him and would believe that he would, um, immediately my mom, as soon as he took his last breath, thrusted her to hug him. And her first words were, I'm so happy for you. We were just so happy that he was getting to be with his Lord, with the Lord. But of course, after all of that, it, you know, when you start to grapple with, okay, Lord, why didn't you heal my dad? you know, what's, what happened, you know, the, the grief sets in. I have a lot of questions for the Lord about that. Um, but I kept turning my heart to yes toward him, even though in the healing, you know, just kept trying to pivot and just keep being obedient to Jesus, no matter what. Yeah. And that, while you were there, that, that kind of took you into, uh, starting to minister to young women and, um, and during that time, you you met your husband shortly after. Shortly after, yeah. So I like you know in in this grief season, um, but then I went to a really large church in Houston, um, a mega church there in Houston, and I started seeing all these young women around me that needed discipleship, and it was like they didn't know I was you know my um, in into my twenties then you know early early thirties and they didn't know they needed a mentor, but I would, they would just keep gravitating toward me for mentorship. And I was like, let's just make this official. Let's just start something for young women. So we started, I started a ministry called Captured for young adult women that I did um, for seven years in total. 
Um, it was a biweekly gathering. We did some conferences out of that and started this biweekly gathering and it was growing. And um, I actually met Gabriel um, through Cindy Jacobs. Our, the, our story is pretty, pretty amazing. The prophetic words that I got, the same prophetic word that told me to keep my bags packed back in 1997. In that same prophetic word, the prophet said, you are not called to walk alone and you're going to spiritually bump into your husband and he's going to be your partner in every way. So as I went through my twenties and thirties, I was like, Lord, spiritually bump in. That's so vague. Like, what does that look like? How do you spiritually bump into? So when people would try to hook me up with, like set me up on dates, I'm like, I don't think that's spiritually bumping. You know, I had this, I had this word over, you know, my whole life anyway, um, so I did meet Gabriel and, and he reminded me once we met and started talking that we had met five years before at a conference that we were in at a young adult conference and we were in the foyer of this conference and he struck up a conversation with me and it was just very quick, like just random stranger conference, you know, and he remembered me and five years later saw me again and recognized me as the woman that he met and the young woman that he met in Arizona. And we spiritually bumped into each other. I mean, it literally happened. So, um, yeah, so we started this ministry, met my husband, Gabriel moved. Um, we got married, um, moved to Dallas and continued in ministry. Um, this young women's ministry took a lot of different twists and turns, but it it eventually led me, um, into a national pro-life, uh, voice, but, um, yeah, it was an amazing journey. So during all those years when you were traveling, waiting for your husband to come, uh, you also had desire to be a mom. So when you got married, you were in your thirties at this point, you wanted to start a family pretty quick, uh, as, as is quite understandable, but right away you started running up against challenges. Um, share a little about that struggle and how that affected your faith. Well, well, well. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can totally relate to women that are wanting to be married and, and tired of being alone. And, um, you know, we, Gabriel and I, when we met and it was from our first date to our wedding day was 11 months, less than a year. Um, right after we got married within two months, I got a random illness, um, that hindered our intimacy. It hindered our, our newlywed connection. Um, and it's something that only 2% of women will ever experience. It's a random, obscure, um, female issue that is a lot of pain, increased pain. So I'm a little bit frustrated with the Lord because I'm like, all right, here I am like 31 years old, 32 years old, finally married, super excited to, you know, have this great honeymoon, newlywed sex life. And then we can't even do that. Right. It was heart wrenching. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just, I'm just going to keep obeying. And so about a year or so we're ready to start having children and I can't get pregnant which I never thought would have been an issue because all of my family members, you know, we have, my mom's one of 10, you know, we're Latina, we have lots of kids. And so I, when we started, you know, coming against infertility, after a year of trying, it's not happening. I was bamboozled. I was surprised and shocked and heartbroken. Um, And we, 
you know, began to seek the help of doctors, like what's going on. It was unexplained. There really wasn't an issue. We're not really sure. Probably just advanced maternal age. And um, it was, it progressed from one year to two years to three years. All the while, I'm still doing ministry, ministering to young adults. When the Lord starts rekindling a childhood call for praying for the ending of abortion. Now, this is something that I, ending of legalized abortion, I should should say. Um, I, I know abortion will always be happening in our nation, but the ending of legalized abortion. So, you know, as a young girl, I was gripped by, um, by this issue in like nine, 10 years old. And so fast forward all these years later, um, I, as I was leading these young women, we began to pray into this and um, be, you know, pray at, at clinics. We helped fund adoptions, all sorts of things. So it began, um, this began to be stirred up in my heart even more. And I'm half asleep one day in the middle of this infertility journey. So my heart is all over the place, but I heard the Lord say, um, I want you to do another prayer journey and, and do a prayer journey from the nation's largest abortion clinic, which was in Houston, Texas at the time, 70,000 square feet and walk back to Dallas where the first federal filings were for Roe v. Wade. So, so for your listeners, I know this, it it probably sounds completely like, wait, what? Um, And it was, it was similar to the prayer journey for Norway, right? But it was a strategic prayer, uh, a strategic prayer journey, just like the children of Israel walked around the walls of Jericho seven times and then shouted like God gave them that strategy. He gave me the strategy to do this walk. And um, it was quite the feat for sure. Yeah, and that was called the back to life walk. So you're you're in fertility treatments, wanting to have your own child. The Lord gives you this burden to do this walk, and you said yes. So <laughs> I, yeah. tell us. I mean, it required some sacrifice on your on your part. Um, and not you know, when God invites us into something, as you said earlier, it doesn't always really require much sacrifice from us. Right. Sometimes it's like, yeah, God, let's do it. Right. Right. But sometimes it's like, oh, yeah. I, you know, this is, I'm going to have to lay something down that's dear to me. Absolutely. To join God in this adventure. So tell us really what this back to life walk was all about. What were some of those sacrifices for you? And and what miracles did you see God do? Because he, he confirmed and did miracles all along the way. Yeah. So when the Lord asked me to do this prayer journey, I knew that the undertaking would be um, would be quite large because here was the vision. At that time, Roe v. Wade had been legalized for 39 years. So the Lord specifically asked me to get 39 young women um, with the emphasis on minority women, because that's the largest demographic that are that are having abortions. It's they're the demographic that's really targeted, and um, so so get thirty nine young women who actually have a personal story regarding abortion. Perhaps they had they were post abortive. Perhaps they had siblings that were aborted. Perhaps they were walking, you know, for you know. I, I have one girl that came that was um, her, she had a Down syndrome sister. And she was like, I'm so, my sister's life is so beautiful. And 99% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. So they all had different personal stories and, um, and the amount of money to be raised. Um, the first quote I got, you know, 
figuring all out was a million dollars. And here I am with a hundred dollars in my ministry account at the time, you know? So it was, the, the undertaking was quite large. And I knew that there was no way that Gabriel and I could pursue, continue to pursue having a child while I'm planning this logistical feat that, you know, that no one had ever done before. I couldn't go, tell me how you planned your, your 250 mile walk, you know, like a conference or anything else. Um, I, I would have to lay that dream down of becoming a mother. And I'm, you know, advanced maternal age, probably 38 at the time. And I'm like, Lord, like time is of the essence. And my, this clock is like the tick is like, I can barely hear it. It's like ticking like very quietly now. And, you know, like, but, and, and all, you know, my whole life when people would ask me as a young child, what do you want to do when you grow up? I wanted to be a minister check. And I wanted to be a mom. Like I just wanted to be a mom. I didn't, I wasn't asking for five kids. I just really wanted to know what it was like to feel life in your womb and to birth a child and to, you know, I just, it was so a part of of who I was. So to do the back to life walk, it was going to take two years of planning, a lot of money and two years of laying this dream on hold. And, um, I knew ultimately from following the Lord that I was going to say yes to him, but it was at a great cost. And I wept and I grieved it, but I was like, okay, Lord, I am going to trust you. And so we start planning the walk. Um, It builds national momentum. I am crisscrossing the country doing radio interviews and raising money and, you know, getting these girls trained and, you know, because we had, we were going to walk 16 miles a day for 21 days. So to walk 250 miles, you can't just go, hey, let's start tomorrow. Like you have to, even though it's just walking, we had to build up resistance and, um, and lots of prayer and lots of fasting and just lots of mobilization. Um, and it was such a beautiful journey. Um, all the while in my heart and, and, you know, in my, the back of my head, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm, you know, I, I'm saying yes, but I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that you are going to do something you know, and you're going to make up this time, you know, I'm really trying to lean into trust Jesus. Um, and so it was, that was in 2012 and it was a beautiful journey. It was so impactful, impactful. We did live streams, Jody. this was 2012. This was before Facebook live or Instagram live, or we had to have a big satellite pack, like a, a huge backpack and cameras that followed us a whole media crew um, so that we could stream it three times a day. And cause we had thousands of people all over the nation praying with us. Um, so it was a pretty amazing journey. So we're going to continue Laura's story in the next episode. So stay tuned. Uh, but as we wrap up this one, Laura, would you share about a woman of the Bible who inspired, encouraged, or taught you something? Yes. So, Often when I share my story and I talk about that first big sacrifice of obedience, which to me at the time was big, was, you know, asking that young woman to to watch her kids, you know, um, at the street ministers conference. I often think about Rebecca in Genesis 24. And I think about how Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And I mean, a little emotional. I just love the word of God, but you know, he had 10 camels and he saw Rebecca 
going down to to the well to get water for her sheep or for whoever she was giving it for on her shoulder. Her water jar was on her shoulder, the word says in verse 15. And he looked up and saw that she was very beautiful. And she replied, I will get, I'll get you water, sir. And also for your 10 camels, which I read somewhere is like 60 different trips. Cause that jar was about five gallons of water. So 60 different times, Rebecca goes back and draws water again and again and again. She had a yes in her heart, even though she didn't know that that act of obedience would open the door for her to marry Isaac. That would lead her to be in the gene- genealogy of that the savior of the world would be in her, you know, part of her loins, you know, like that act of obedience. And she just inspires me in her obedience to serve and her ob- willingness to serve and her willingness to lay down her conveniences and, you know, a lot of people will will say yes and obey, but only to a limit, only to where it's comfortable for me or if it fits within my paradigm or my schedule. But we see Rebecca drawing this water over and over and over again, and it opened the door to her destiny. And I feel so grateful to the Lord for all the times that I've said yes, that he's invited me into something that I've said yes to, and I can see his hand in my life. Um, the way his hand was in Rebecca's life through her obedience. You know, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're all called to different things, different works that God specifically created us for and called us to. And when we say yes to God, to his leading, as Laura has done, He'll use each of us in ways we could never imagine. It's not something to be afraid of because he created us. He knows exactly what will thrill us and what will fill us with peace and with joy. Laura, would you pray for our listeners? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for every heart that is listening to this prayer right now, God. Father, I thank you for the invitation that you have for them into a God adventure, into a God journey, Lord, um, that would fulfill them, that would exhilarate them, Lord, that would um, draw them close to you. Father, I just thank you, God, that you have your hand on every life and that your ultimate desire is for them to know you in an intimate way, whatever that journey looks like like, Lord, I just pray, God, that, Lord, those that are listening to you, that consider themselves lovers of Jesus, loyal lovers of Jesus, would um, just say yes to you over and over and over again. And God, we thank you that through our yes, your kingdom advances on this earth. Lord, through our yes, not only our our own lives blessed and fulfilled, but Jesus, your kingdom is advanced on the earth, Lord. People come to know you. Nations are changed. Children are reared into loving you for the rest of their lives. Generation upon generation is blessed by those who have simple yeses in their heart to you over and over again. So Lord, I just thank you, God, that you are solidifying 
our hearts in contentment to you, our hearts in obedience to you, our hearts in obedience to your word. And I bless every listener, Lord, with um, um, that there would just not be just religion and, and obedience out of duty, but Lord, um, out of invitation and exhilaration to follow you closely. And um, that you're just, we just say yes for you to write the story of our lives in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You know, friends, there are children all over the world who are without parents and orphans who need to experience a tangible expression of God's love right now. Many have special needs that we as a company of women can meet together. Would you consider joining us with a special gift to help? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the widow and orphan tab at the top of the page. Thank you for tuning in. Check out our show notes at hergodstory.org for links, scriptures, and other information. And you can sign up for our emails and get a free six-week downloadable devotion on women of the Bible. Or you can purchase a 12-week devotional on women of the Bible for just $12 knowing that all the proceeds will go to the Widow and Orphan Fund. And now I bless you from 2 Thessalonians 1.11. May God make you worthy of his calling, and by his power may he bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.